The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash edge to get started today. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast. In America, it is currently Saturday night, June 3rd. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Rachel, once again, going solo for this podcast. Should be a fun one because it is time to go through the fourth round of the French Open on the men's side. And of course, before we do that, do want to discuss the game plan for this episode. We will be doing what we always do, which is recapping the third round with the lock and dog picks, as well as some match takeaways. Then we also are going to start going through every match of the fourth round. We're at the point in the tournament where we only have four matches per day. So instead of picking and choosing some select matches that either intrigue me or potentially have some value, in my opinion, we will be covering basically all of the matches because once again, it's only four per day. We're not going to go fully in depth. We're going to save, of course, our favorite picks for the lock and dog. But I do want to at least acknowledge if I did forget a game, a match or two in the third round, that's not going to be the case in the fourth round and onward because we now actually have time to go through each of the matches. I think we actually did a decent job of going through all the matches. We might have been a little bit lenient on the Saturday card. Because once again, I really wasn't a big fan of the Saturday card. I think we did pretty well on it with our leans anyway. But for the most part, I was more interested in the Friday card. And I do feel like the results kind of prove that in hindsight. But either way, time to actually get into the moment you've all been waiting for, which is the recap of the third round. It's actually not the previews because we have a lot to recap. And there are a lot of victory laps to be had by me and by whoever backed us. Because we absolutely crushed it in the third round. It was the most profitable episode we've ever had in terms of individual match previews because, of course, we've had bigger long shots for outright tournaments. But for the sake of matches, we absolutely destroyed that Varias Herkaz match, which I'll get into in a second. Baby steps. We're going to start off in chronological order with the lock for the third round, and we had the over 37 games in the Kashanov and Kokonakis match. Wasn't the easiest in the world, but got there. We thought we might end up having five sets, but then Kokonakis choked it, and then uh, you saw Kashanov win in a fourth set tiebreaker. Either way, the match went over in games, so a nice win there. So you win the early lock at around 5 a.m., which is when the match started, and you think, you know, maybe that's a good omen. Maybe that's a good sign of things to come, and then for the rest of Friday, including leans, we didn't lose a damn thing. We won everything on Friday. Uh, even going through the leans first, we like Sonigo plus the games against Rublev. He won outright. We thought Offner had some value against Fagnini. He won in five. We thought Djokovic would win in straight sets. By some miracle, he won in straight sets. I'm not sure how he did that because uh, Fakina should have won a minimum one set. I believe each of the first two sets were about an hour and 30, and then Djokovic won in three. We thought Musetti would beat Nori. He did. Uh, we thought Tsitsipas would destroy Schwartzman. He did in straight sets. Uh, we thought Alcaraz would destroy Shapo. He did. And we had Varias, and Varias won in five. So, yeah, we won everything on Friday, which tells you how we did on the lock and dog picks. But I mentioned the lock. Now it's time for the ultimate victory lap here. Not just for me, but for all the people that were sweating this match out in the middle of the afternoon on Friday. In the fifth set, I was recording a baseball podcast for SGPN. So I was sweating out the fifth set on a stream in a separate window while discussing the baseball picks that I had for the Saturday card. So to, to put it all into perspective, Varias initially 
was going to be my dog because I looked around and I thought about Offner, but I wasn't totally sure. But I thought that Herkaz was a little bit overvalued because I know how good he can be. But Clay is definitely his weakest surface. And for a guy that is a little bit taller, doesn't exactly move that well, I thought he might be fatigued because he had gone to five sets in each of the first two matches. Now, Varias did too. Varias had a five-setter in the first round and the second round. He actually dropped the first set and the second set in each of the first two matches. But he's a clay specialist, and I did think that if it would be a marathon, I had more faith in Varias' stamina over Herkaz's. That was the logic for the sake of the pick. So I liked him at plus 210. Then I did some digging. And I realized that Varias, since he dropped the first set all the time, and since Herkaz was actually very good at being a quick starter, you could have gone Varias to lose the first set and win the match at plus 900. And that was the second dog we gave out. So we chopped up the dog in half. We had half on Varias money line at plus 210, half of it on Varias to lose the first set and win the match at plus 900. And you're damn right he did it. He pulled it off. He won in five. And that was definitely a phenomenal moment there in the tennis discord server of SGPN. If you're not in it, you should be. It is completely free. And, of course, we have a lot of sharp tennis cappers in there who share their picks. I know that Zhang, for example, is very big into women's tennis, which I know I might be a little bit lax in coverage of. Apologies there if you were looking for more WTA coverage, which I do on occasion. I'll probably do it for the French Open, semis, and final. But still, the point is, if you do want some women's tennis action, check out the Discord because we do have a lot of... Uh, betters into that channel that do like to handicap women's tennis and they do share their bets. I know John's a pretty big live player and he did quite well in the third round. But the point is, I do have to point out the Discord server was going crazy, sweating out the Varias match. It was about four hours of just instant drama and it was fantastic. Honestly, if you are a bit of a degen, maybe an adrenaline junkie, that was a hell of an experience at plus 900 trying to sweat out an underdog to get over the finish line. Now, we did get a little bit lucky. However, it does kind of go back to my overall handicap of the match. Herc has won the first set. Not surprising. We thought he would. That's why we took the 9-1. to one. Now, Varius was down a break in the second set, and Herkaz was serving like a madman. Simply put, his first serve percentage was nuts. It was north of 70, and we know Herkaz serves bombs. The more that I thought about it, Herkaz kind of reminds me of a reincarnation of Kevin Anderson. I think stylistically, they're very similar players. I know you could argue the height's a bit different, the nationality's different. I get all that. But in terms of the overall style of play, big servers, they can rally a little bit, but they're not great at it. Pretty underrated net skills, and the court coverage could use some work. I feel like it's a pretty good comp, but either way, point is, we did think since Herkaz had played two marathon matches, maybe he would be below 100% physically, and then Herkaz got broken. And it was a competitive game. Uh, Varius ended up capitalizing because Herkaz couldn't defer serve, and Varius ended up getting back on serve. And then we saw the trainer come out to focus on Herkaz, and Herkaz hurt his knee. Now, to be honest, you never root for injuries involving any player as a fan. Having said that, with plus 900 and plus 210, it was the dream situation for us where the guy you bet against, who is really just built on having an insane amount of firepower as his calling card in tennis, now he's injured. And its explosiveness will be at least somewhat compromised. And Varius is definitely the more consistent player in terms of keeping the ball in play. So it really was a perfect storm for us early in the match. And then Varius broke again immediately after the trainer visited Herkaz. So Varius won the second set. 
Third set was a marathon. Varias had a break point at 5-5 and then ended up hitting into the net with a passing shot that was available. Unfortunate, but Varias did win the third set in a tiebreaker. So you thought, okay, great shape. We're up 2-1. I know Varias on the live line midway through the third set was like minus 130. And then I believe at the end of the third set, he was like minus 300 or something like that. So you could have hedged out in the middle if you wanted to guarantee some profit. But as you know, we're not going to hedge out of it when the other guy we're against is injured. So why would you agree to accept the middle when your guy is in a great up in a great spot to win the match? Then Herkaz won the fourth set. Unfortunate. There was a marathon service game for Varius. And unfortunately, he could not hold and Herkaz broke. And then we got into the fifth set and we saw the trainer come out for both guys. We saw Varias, I think it was in actually the fourth set, towards the end of the fourth set. Varias had a shoulder issue, or at least he got some treatment on it. It didn't really seem like his level dropped off that much, but it seemed like he was getting some treatment on the shoulder. And Herkaz got treatment, but it wasn't even on the knee anymore. He had a blister on his finger, which might have been annoying as well. So Herkaz had an issue with the knee and with the finger, and that might have been too much for him to overcome because Varias broke through early in the fifth set and then won the match, breaking again as he won the final set 6-2. So overall, nice win for us. It's an understatement. It's the biggest win we've ever had in a single match. For the Varias match alone, if you bet one unit on each dog play, you made over 11 units. So that kind of sums up how well you did for the third round. Shout out to Kokonakis and to Kashana for getting us over the total anyway, but for the sake of the third round, phenomenal episode for us, and once again, we'll try to keep it rolling here on Saturday. Disclosure, though, probably will not be able to pick out another plus 900 underdog. It was just a great spot. You got a plus 200 underdog to lose the first sell, like he always did, at an extra $7 of value. I had to take that on principle, so we're not going to take that many insane shots in there, but we will take our shots when we need to. And that was definitely the right opportunity to pull the trigger. And hopefully you ended up cashing on that. But either way, to go through the rest of the third round, once again, we got every match right on Friday. So really not much to go through. As for Saturday, we did pretty well as well. Uh, we gave out one kind of lean there for a bet. Uh, we gave out Jang to win a set against Rude, and he won the first set. I just thought Rude was too big of a money line favorite. Thought he was going to win, but after dropping a set to Zepieri, I did think Zhang could win a set, potentially in a tiebreaker, but he won the first set 6-4. Besides that, though, the only sad thing was Chorich losing, who we had as a quarter outright winner. I don't know how realistic it was, but it was mostly looking at that Medvedev quarter thinking we got a shot to take a flyer here. And we were right. That quarter completely fell apart. But unfortunately, Chorich and uh, Karatsev could not get it done. But I don't regret the long shot value when the favorite's going to lose and you see the whole quarter implode. Then you know that you might have been on to something. And unfortunately for us, we were, but we didn't pick the right guys. But besides that, though, thought the Fritz match would be competitive. Sarandolo won that one in four. Thought the Zverev Tiafa match would be competitive. That one was went to four with two tie breaks. Uh, you saw Nishioka win in five against Seabolt Wild, and you had Jari win. And Jari, we still have to win the quarter at around plus 1,200. And now he takes on Rude in a rematch of Geneva, which should be a lot of fun. But the point is, you did end up seeing Jari and Rune win, and we got each of them to win their quarter. So definitely a very solid uh, third round on Saturday as well, but most of our action came in on Friday. Now it's time to actually kind of discuss a bit of an elephant in the room. Uh, we're going to 
we're going to turn our attention to a brief segment, which I feel like most of you, if you weren't paying attention to the news, might not be aware of. But before we get into the fourth round, once again, this really does not have much to do with tennis, except for the fact that it involves the main character uh, being involved in tennis. So I mentioned that Nishioka ended up advancing in the uh, third round after beating Seabolt Wild in a final set of 6-0. However, there were some, let's just put this out there, some drama, some WhatsApp messages uh, that circulated involving Seabolt Wild, uh, which became public knowledge because of a Brazilian news outlet, which ended up actually getting access to the photos. But Seabolt Wild uh, told his ex-girlfriend that his mother is a borderline Nazi, and there were photos that he sent his ex-girlfriend of his great-grandfather. I think it was great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather uh, just casually in a picture with Hitler, and the grandfather, great-grandfather, whoever it was, was just apparently Hitler's predecessor who brought him over to Austria after teaching Hitler everything there is to know about the I don't even know what to describe it, but yeah, that was kind of a weird little uh, piece of news that ended up circulating a little bit. Uh, but to read off some of the quotes here with the girlfriend, the girlfriend ended up asking uh, Seaboth Wild, quote, your mother doesn't like gays, blacks and Jews. Is that right? And Seaboth Wild said, yes, my family on my mother's side is Nazi. Literally, my great grandfather, my mother's father's father, you know, whatever, was Hitler's predecessor. He was the one who brought him over from Austria and taught Hitler the life. Now, I'm sure that this wasn't the direction you thought this podcast would go into, because once again, we just recapped the most profitable third round we've ever had or episode we've ever had for a match breakdown. And now I just transitioned it over into one of the tennis players having arguably a side of Nazis on his family. But I thought it was very weird, and I thought it was just not being talked about enough, and I kind of wanted to bring it up. Also, if you didn't realize I'm Jewish, so I thought it was kind of interesting, at least. Now, once again, I'm not saying that Seabolt Wild is is an anti-Semite. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But I just thought it was very weird, and how he was linked to domestic violence issues earlier in the tournament from a while ago. But there was a post-match press conference where one of the reporters asked him about it, and he addressed it by saying, this is not the time and place to talk about it. But I thought it was just weird that Seabolt Wild has a family connection to Adolf Hitler with photos that were backed up proving the claims that his great grandfather was basically Hitler's best friend. And yeah, I just wanted to bring it up. It just was something that was completely out of left field. And I at least wanted to mention it. Now, I'm not saying that you should automatically root against Seabolt Wild moving forward. If you do, that's your choice. As a Jewish person, to be honest, I'm not saying he's an anti-Semite, so it's not really going to impact me either way. But I just thought it was interesting, and I wanted to bring it up because I don't think you're probably going to hear about it unless you actively look it up. I thought it was interesting. So there you go. That's my brief little segment, my brief little potpourri segment of just random knowledge there that you can use or at least keep in mind. But yeah. 
Apparently, Seabolt Wild's mother and great-grandfather are anti-Semites and borderline members of the Nazi party. But anyway, moving on to the fourth round of the French Open. Uh, you have a couple of fun matches taking place on Sunday and Monday, but I said before we're going to go through each of the matches individually because now we have time to do so. We have a fun one to actually start off the fourth round because you have Kashanov taking on Sonigo after Sonigo was able to upset Rublev coming back from two sets down in the head-to-head. Kashanov does have a slight edge as he is up two to one. Uh, to look at the actual head to head matches, though, they faced off twice on clay and they did chop. Now, they were in 2019, so I'm not sure how much you can actually read into those. But Sonigo won in Monte Carlo, 7664, and they faced off in Rome about a month later. And Kashanov won that one in three sets. Now, to go through the actual betting lines, for this match here. Kashanov's a favorite. Makes sense. Not a big favorite, though. Minus 190, and Sonny goes around plus 165. As for the games here, Kashanov is minus 3.5, and, and Sonigo is plus 3.5, roughly minus 110 apiece. And the over-under is around 38.5 or 39. For the sake of this match, I do like the over. I think you will see a competitive match. Uh, the question is, do I think Sonigo is going to be able to win? It's doable, uh, but I do think Kashanov will get it done. I think Sonigo, even though he is a very talented player, and he showed it in the last couple sets against Rublev, there's still too many drops in terms of his overall uh, just performance in individual matches. A lot of highs and lows, and I do feel like Kashanov, I know he can be a head case as well at times, but really ever since the first two sets of the first round against Lestien, he's been he's been very, very sharp, and I do think that's a good sign for him moving forward. We know the forehand's consistent. He's a good server. I do think that you're going to be in a good spot to see Kashanov at some point wear down Sonigo over the course of this match. Now, am I saying that Sonigo's screwed? No, I think Sonigo has the talent and he's shown it in the two head-to-head meetings to take sets off of Kashanov in or on clay. And I think it's pretty interesting that in the tiebreakers between these guys on clay, Sonigo's 2 0. So I find it kind of interesting. Sonigo has had more success in the tiebreaker. But the point is, I like the over. I think you probably will see a tiebreaker. I think I think that Sonigo probably loses in four or five. But I see a marathon here. Give me the over in games at around 38.5 or 39. But I will lean to Kashanov to get the job done. Now, moving on to the. Plus, over three and a half sets is minus 200. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably going four or five. But moving on to the uh, second match here, you have a matchup between Varius, our boy, and Djokovic. Now, Djokovic is my favorite player of all time. I think he's the greatest player of all time. If you disagree and you think it's Nadal, that's cool. You're entitled to your opinion. But the point is, Djokovic is my all-time favorite guy. Having said that, I think after the third round, Varius might be our first, I'd say, first ballot podcast Hall of Famer uh, for the list of bets. You know, if you want to retire a certain bet up on the rafters, I think Varius with his plus 900 has to be one of the first bets that we're hanging the banner for in the proverbial SGPN tennis stadium. So can th- uh, thank you to Varius. Now, the problem is he's projected to get buried so badly that he probably shouldn't even show up for the match because Djokovic is around minus 5,000 on the money line, or you could arguably uh, find like minus 2,000. Over-unders around 28.5 or 27.5. For games, Djokovic is supposed to kill him, and for the sake of the spread, minus 2.5 sets is minus 270. 
The question is, do I think Varias can make some noise in this match? No. Simply put, Varias, even though he did come back from two sets down in each of the first two rounds, and even though he did a, a solid and a half by beating Herkaz, the shoulder concerns me, and he also just does not have many big weapons. He's a guy who has an underrated amount of pace for a guy with a small stature, but he's not a great server, and I do wonder if the shoulder issue is going to bother him. Now, Djokovic did have a leg issue in the first set against Fakina, and it's kind of been bugging him for the last round or two, but we saw against Fakina, I'd say pretty much every other player in the world besides maybe Alcaraz would have dropped at least one set there because Fakina was playing like a lunatic. He was playing insanely well, but Djokovic was really good in the breakers, and I do think that Djokovic is just world-class, and I think that he's going to demolish Varias. Varias has lost a couple of sets in blowout fashion by like 6-1, 6-2 to Batista Good, for example. I think Djokovic buries him. He had a marathon match, a three-set marathon match against Fakina. I think he tries to end this early, and I think he tries to quickly move on to the quarters, and I think he does so. So I'm going to go Djokovic and give me the under 28 and a half games. I don't see a tiebreaker. I don't see a 7-5. I'm not even sure if I see many 6-4s, but I think Djokovic will be all over him in this match. And Varias, even though he is pretty consistent at keeping the ball in play, have fun trying to have a long rally contest against Djokovic. It's not going to go well for you. Varias doesn't come to the net that much. He doesn't really try many drop shots. I do think he's going to try to outlast Djokovic in rallies. And that's an invitation to get your ass kicked. So at the end of the day, give me Djokovic to win this match comfortably, but give me the under 28 and a half as being the best way to cut into some of the juice. And if Rias's shoulder bothers him again, Djokovic might win a set 6-1. So just keep that in mind. But give me the under 27 and a half games in that match. Now, moving on to the third match, you have arguably the match of the tournament so far between Alcaraz and Musetti. Both guys have been absolutely nuts in this event, Alcaraz dropped a set to Taro Daniel. It was very windy, but still. Besides that, he's a dominant, and you're looking at Musetti, and he hasn't dropped a set either. He buried Shevchenko, which made which told me he's on a certain gear at this point because Shevchenko was playing really good tennis uh, leading up to that match, and Musetti beat him 6-1, 6-1, 6-2, and you're like, okay, he's a matchup against Cam Nori. Now, Nori's not the greatest clay player, but you figure, all right, Nori's still a top 15 guy. Maybe it'll be competitive. I thought Musetti was going to win, but I thought that Nori would make it more competitive than that. Uh, he ended up losing 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. He got put in a body bag, and Musetti, once again, has looked really good. Now, am I saying Musetti is going to win? No, I didn't officially say that. However, to look at the head-to-head -head matches, they actually are competitive because they faced off in a challenger event back in 2020. Alcaraz won that one in three, and they faced off in the Hamburg final, and Musetti won that one last year, winning an ATP title, and that was definitely a very fun match. Now, once again, do I think Musetti is going to win? No. Having said that, do I think Alcaraz should be around minus 575? No. I think that's a little bit high. Now, I know Alcaraz is also off an insane destruction against Chapo, and I am aware that Alcaraz is right now a top two player in the world, but I do think Musetti can make this interesting because in the head-to-head, They've been interesting, these matchups. Now, if I had to price it myself, I'd still have him as a pretty big favorite. I'd probably have Alcaraz at like minus 400. But 575, I think that seems a little bit high to me. 
at first glance, I like the games. I think plus seven is really just too high of a spread. If you can find seven and a half at like minus 135, I'd consider taking that. I think Alcaraz wins, but I can see a couple of six, four sets, maybe a tiebreaker in there. Maybe it even goes to four or five sets. But the point is, I do think Musetti's playing at a certain level, which is arguably the best level of his career. And I think that he can potentially make this match interesting. And I think that you're going to see it be competitive. Now, 34 and a half games is a bit tricky. And the over-under at three and a half at minus 115, the three and a half sets, minus 115 on each side tells me once again that they might be expecting four sets. So I don't feel great about the over at 34 and a half games. I think I'd rather take the sets if I had to pick one of the two. But the point is that since 34 and a half suggests at least two 7-5 sets, actually a 7-6 set and potentially a 7-5 set in a straight set win, or it goes to four, I think if I was going to find value on making it a, a competitive match, I'd rather just take the seven and a half games because that way, if Alcaraz wins six, four, six, four, six, four, then the under in sets wins the under in games wins, but Musetti still covers. So I do think that the safest way to back Musetti to make this match competitive is to take the games because the over under for sets and for games seems a little bit off. So give me Musetti plus the seven or seven and a half games. I think Alcaraz wins. I think Musetti probably takes a set, but I think Alcaraz eventually wins this match. But once again, if Musetti pulls off an upset, I would not be totally shocked. I'd be surprised, but I at least have to give flowers to Musetti in, in this tournament because of how good he's been. But for the sake of this match, give me Musetti plus the seven. I think he hangs in there, probably loses in a competitive match, but I think seven is a few too many games. But moving on to the next match, the final match here for the Sunday card. You have a matchup between Offner and Sitsipas. Now, Sitsipas is a massive favorite, and that's really no surprise. Offner got taken to five to Fognini, while Sitsipas destroyed Schwartzman. So it makes sense. Sitsipas is around a minus 1800 favorite. Sitsipas to win in straight sets is around minus 180. And yeah, I really don't have much else. The over under is at 30. That's uh, 30 flat, minus 114 on the over, and the under is minus 106. As for games, it's roughly at eight and a half. Minus 112 towards Offner, minus 108 towards Sitsipas. Simply put, I think Sitsipas wins in straight sets. The question is, do I think he'll actually be able to cover this match by winning by margin? They did face off one time on hard court in Antwerp, and that did go three sets. However, that was back in 2017, which means nothing to me because that was roughly six years ago. So I'm not going to bother with the overall history with these two players, but I do have to acknowledge that Offner... I actually picked in my bracket to have a bit of a Cinderella run here, and he did a good job as a qualifier to make it this far. But off a five-setter against Fognini, and now he's facing off against Sitsipas, who, after a bit of a struggle against Vesely, has looked really good in the last two matches against Baina and against Schwartzman. I think Sitsipas crushes him, and I think he probably wins this match while covering. If I had to guess, you might just get six threes across the board. Uh, but maybe Offner can hang in there with a 6-4 set or maybe a tiebreaker. But I think Sitsipas wins in straight sets. It's minus 180. So once again, I really don't have a strong, strong takeaway for a bet here because I usually make the maximum juice I'll lay at like minus 160 for the sake of the show. But I do think Sitsipas probably wins in uh, straight sets. Having said that, you can also take a better option of minus 180 because bet on one 
has the same price available for City Pass straight sets and the under three and a half sets. And as a gambling tip, if you have the same line on the set spread and the over under in sets, always take the under because in theory, by some miracle, if Offner wins in straight sets, you still win the under three and a half sets. So a quick message or a quick tip. It sounds obvious, but you might not have thought about it. If you have the same betting line available for the set spread for a player minus two and a half sets and the under three and a half sets or on the women's side, minus one and a half sets and the under two and a half. If it's the same price, take the under in sets instead of the spread, because you always have the miracle option of the underdog winning in straight sets. But the point is, I think Sitsipas wins. I don't think there's going to be much of a contest. I think Offner might be exhausted from that matchup against Fognini. But Sitsipas, once again, I think he's a head case in the matchups against top, top tier competition. But against underwhelming, or I should say below average, or I, I should say guys beneath him in terms of talent, Sitsipas usually takes care of business. And I do think that's going to be the case once again in this overall matchup. So once again, I simply put things Sitsipas crushes him. And I think he probably wins in straight sets. I'm trying to quickly shop around to see if I could find a better price on these straight sets. I found three sets at minus 163, which is a better price. I don't see three nothing though, but it's the same idea. Actually, I found I found three nothing at minus 150 on bet 365. Okay. I mean, minus 150, that's not as bad, but still, uh, I think Cincy Paws wins in straight sets. But moving on to the Monday matches, you have the, for starters, a matchup between. Uh, they actually have not announced the times yet for the matches, so I'm going to go in any order in particular. You have Dimitrov taking on Zverev. As of right now, Zverev is roughly minus 200. I don't see many lines available at many books because Zverev was the final match to conclude on Saturday. So I do see some lines on Bet365, but if your current favorite book doesn't have it, I wouldn't be totally shocked. The over-under is 38 and a half. Uh, you also have a pretty interesting spread in this matchup. Zverev is around minus three and a half at minus 120. Dimitrov is plus three and a half at minus 120. For the sake of the actual head-to-head -head matches, Zverev is currently up 3-1. Uh, they did face off on Clay back in 2016, and Zverev won 6-1-6-4. But once again, that's roughly seven years ago. I don't really care. Now, if you want to just look at the hardcore matchups... There's been some wars. Now, I'm not saying this is going to translate to clay, but there have been a lot, a lot of deciding sets. So if you think once again, you're going to see some push and pull, then I don't mind the over in this match. I actually do like the over in this match. The problem is you might see a set or two, which is like 6-2, and that might kill your over. So I do think I definitely prefer the overall set over bets here. But the problem is with a line of roughly minus 200, you're going to see a lot of juice on that three and a half. So I do think if I was going to play this, it first of all really comes down to who you think is going to win. Uh, but you personally can find a bet available on like Zverev to win the match and each player to win at least a set. And that pays out a plus 140. If you want Dimitrov to win and each player to win a set, that's plus 250. I would take something along those lines. Expect a bit of a marathon match but pick the guy that you think's going to win to win that marathon match, and that kind of cuts into some of the juice. But if I had to pick who I think's going to win, it's really tough because I thought Zverev looked pretty good against Tiafo, 
but he had a couple of tough moments. I thought it was going to go to five sets for a little while there, but Dimitrov has looked really, really good. Now, the counterpoint for Dimitrov is the level of competition. He beat Skatov in the first round, beat Rusevori in the second round, and beat Altmaier, who was off a five-and-a-half-hour match against Sinner. But Dimitrov was able to avoid Sinner, which was definitely a lucky break for him. But you're looking at who Zverev played. Tiafo's good. Molkan's okay. Lloyd, Howard's, uh, Lloyd Harris is okay. So you can argue that it's a step up in competition for both guys, but we saw Zverev face off against Tiafo, which is the best competition that either guy has faced so far in this event. I think I'm going to lean to, based on value, I think I'm going to lean to Dimitrov. I don't feel great about it, and once again, I will not give this out on the lock and dog segment because I said once a couple of months ago, if I ever give out Dimitrov again in the lock and dog segment, you have the right to punch me in the face. So I'm not going to give out Dimitrov to actually win the match. I'm not going to have money on it, uh, but I do think if I had to look at the value, I would lean to Dimitrov at around plus 162, and I'd lean to the games because I do think that Dimitrov, based on his current form, is kind of neck and neck with Zverev. And I think these lines are a bit off. Zverev won a marathon match in his last matchup against Tiafo. Dimitrov won a pretty straightforward straight set matchup. So you could argue fatigue for Zverev might play a factor here. But we have not really seen Zverev make deep runs and grand slams since the serious injury. And I think Dimitrov is quite live. So if I had to price it myself... I would probably have Zverev at around minus 140, minus 150. And that means I'd have Dimitrov at around plus 120. So for that reason, I am going to go with Dimitrov on the money line here for the value. I do think this line seems a little bit off. And I think you probably will see Dimitrov money coming in leading up to this match. Moving on to the next match. You have a matchup against, or I should say between Echeverry and Nishioka. And for the sake of the spread here, or I should say for the money line, Echeverry is around minus 333. And Nishioka is around plus 250. And for the games, it tells you that Echeverry is a decent favorite because Echeverry is roughly minus six. Nishioka is plus six. As for the over-under, it's 35 and a half. Slight juice to the over, minus 113. And the under is minus 107. Now, the problem for Nishioka is the marathon match because he just faced off against Seabolt Wild, which ended up going to five sets. Now, Echeverry has looked comfortable so far in this event, beat Draper in basically one set because Draper retired, beat Diminor in three sets, and beat Chorich in three sets. So he hasn't dropped a set this entire event. Now, the problem that I kind of have with this line is that Nishioka is really just a good grinder. He's the guy who's going to make you hit shots in play for four-plus hours to try to wear you out. He's got the looping lefty forehand. I do think he can pose some problems for Echeverry. Do I think Nishioka is going to win? No, I didn't say that. But I do think that when you're looking at the overall line here, this is one of the deeper runs or deepest runs that Echeverry's ever had in a Grand Slam. Minus 340? Like, that seems a little bit rich to me. I think he should be like minus 275, give or take. But I think I have to lean to the games with Nishioka and just hope that he can battle and really force Echeverry to make some unforced errors with the looping forehand. Both guys aren't great servers. Echeverry's more comfortable on clay, but Nishioka's not bad on clay by any means. I'm going to lean to the over, and I'm going to lean to the games. I think you probably get four sets here, and I do think that Nishioka does enough to hang in there and cover this number. But for the sake of the overall 
prices. This just seems off to me. I think that it should be cheaper, and I think that Nishioka is being a bit disrespected here. So once again, I am going to go with Nishioka plus the games. I don't think he's going to win, but I do think he should be able to win at least one set in this match. And Echeverry to win with each player winning a set is plus 130, just for reference. But if you wanted to end up taking uh, Nishioka to win a set, Sorry, I'm just trying to find where this is located. That's one of the things about Bet365 is that I'm so not accustomed to their actual uh, site because it's not legal in New York that I'm still not exactly sure where every prop is. So I kind of have to scramble every time I want to look through it. But uh, let me just see if I could quickly find what it is for him to uh, win a set. Sorry, I'm just digging trying to find this. Um, if I can't find it, then it is what it is, but, uh, sorry, let me just Nishioka to win a set. It's minus 225 from to win a set. So the point is, I think everyone's expecting it to be a bit of a longer match, at least not a straight set win. So if you're expecting Nishioka to win a set, then why would I lay six games with the other guy? Give me Nishioka plus the six and moving on to the next match to go through. You have a matchup between, uh, Rune and, uh, Sarundalo. And this one should be pretty fun. Now, Rune is a pretty decent favorite of minus 250. Having said that, Sarundalo is actually undefeated against Rune. That he is 1-0. It was in 2019, which means, once again, nothing. And Rune has had the easiest possible path. Now, he did end up dropping a set to Eubanks in the first round. But he didn't have a second-round matchup because Monfi with, uh, withdrew, so he walked over. And then Rune beat Oliveira, or, or Oliveri, uh, in straight sets yesterday, or I should say on Saturday. Then Sarundalo had a four-setter against Munar, a straight-set win against Hoffman, and a four-set win against Fritz. Now, I think Rune is going to win. Do I think it's going to be a close match? I think it will be competitive, but that kind of goes back to my Nishioka point. Rune is minus five games against Sarundalo, and Echeverry is minus six games against Nishioka. That just seems disrespectful. But anyway, I think Rune wins. Do I think Sarundalo takes a set? I think he definitely can. He's got the forehand and the overall talent to do so. The problem is Rune has the movement and just the overall feel on clay, which I think is a little bit higher than Sarundalo. Sarundalo is really good on clay, but Rune is top four in the world good on clay, and I think that Rune eventually wins this one. I'm trying to think of what value play I can really find on this match because I really don't see much. I thought about Rune like minus one and a half sets, which I think would be tempting. Uh, I got to see if I could actually find that somewhere because I'm not sure if they have that on Bet365. But the point is, I do think that Rune probably wins this one in three or four. If I had to lean, probably four. But I think Rune wears him down over the course of this matchup. Sarundalo is in a war against Fritz. And I do think that Rune, after having basically a, a free win, in the third round should be the fresher guy. And I think he'll be able to eventually wear down uh Sarandolo over these three or four sets. So for me, I'm going to go with Rune to win this one. And I'm going to go with Rune minus one and a half sets. Uh, just trying to see if I could find it. Rune minus one and a half sets is minus 145 on BetMGM. That would probably be my favorite play in this match. But once again, I'm not sure if I'm going to bet it, but if I had to handicap it with my favorite play, it would be Rune minus one and a half sets at minus 145. And last but not least, you have the rematch in Geneva uh, between 
Jari and Rude. Now, Rude is roughly minus 200, and Jari is around plus 165. Now, once again, they just faced off about a week ago in Geneva, and Jari won in three sets. He came back from a set down. Very competitive, 7-6-7-5 in the final set. And they faced off in 2022 on hardcourt. Rude won that one in three. So at first glance over, I see a four or five set war. I think these guys are going to kill each other. Having said that, these odds feel a bit off to me. Rude has dropped the set to Zepieri and Zhang. And you saw Jari drop a set to Giron and to Tommy Paul. Relatively similar players. But the point is, I do think that Jari's firepower is going to give Rude problems. He's a huge server. He has a lot of firepower. And Rude is very good at baseline rallying. But Jari wants to end the points early. And I do think that could neutralize some of Rude's strength. But getting plus 165 with a guy who literally just beat the same exact opponent a week ago, I think it's an absurd price. I got to take Jari. I think it's going to be a marathon. I think it's going to be a very, very stressful match. This might be your afternoon sweat match of the fourth round where you're going to be watching it because you're bored at work. And then suddenly you're going to get no work done because you're going to be watching this match for roughly three plus hours. But give me the over in this match at around 40 games. I think it probably goes to five and give me Jari Moneyline at plus 165 for the overall premise of getting an underdog price against the guy who he literally just beat a week ago. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for the fourth round breakdown. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. But before I actually do that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Edge Boost. Edge Boost is the world's first bet now pay later Visa card. Edge currently offers up to $2,500 in betting advances, which can be an extremely valuable tool. Imagine what you can do with an increased bankroll. Get down on some of your favorite futures without tying up your bankroll for months. Double down on a favorite you bet on, or even if you want to use it to create an awesome middle opportunity, or even hedge, as disgusting as that might sound. Edge Boost isn't some sleazy loan shark as they charge 0% interest. Do you know of another way you can get an access? to more money to place on your favorite bets without paying any interest, because I don't. Support SGPN and grow your bankroll by going to sportscampodcast.com slash edge to sign up at sportscampodcast.com slash edge. Must be 21 or older to use problem gambling. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals Contest. SGPN has two more free contests for the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals. Enter exclusively on the SGPN app, series props, and game props. $100 SGPN gift card up for grabs for each contest. Download the SGPN app and enter today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the fourth round of the French Open. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock... Unfortunately, we are going to hold the candle in honor of our fallen. We are going to fade Varius in his matchup against Djokovic. And the only way to do that with making it somewhat profitable, or at least logical, we're going to take the under in games at 28 and a half. I think Djokovic buries him, and I think it's not even close. Varius has had to go to five sets in each of the first three rounds. He should be exhausted. And the fact that the trainer came out to deal with his shoulder, I think is a serious problem in this matchup against Djokovic. I mentioned it before in the overall uh, match preview, and I mentioned how Djokovic is around minus 3,000. The point is, Varias doesn't have that much firepower. He's got some, but for the most part, he tries to outlast his opponents, which is why we liked him against Herkaz, because Herkaz actually hits a lot of unforced errors. Djokovic won't, and if Varias with a bad shoulder is going to try to win these 30-shot rallies against Djokovic, he's going to lose, 
because Djokovic is the definition of a brick wall. So I think Varias gets killed here, and I think Djokovic probably wins this one like 6-3, 6-2, 6-4, something like that. But I do think Djokovic wins comfortably, and I think after that marathon three-setter against Fakina, Djokovic will be incentivized to get off the court as quickly as possible and win this match probably in under two hours. So for me, I'm going to go with Djokovic to win this match comfortably with the under 28 and a half games. And I think that Varias, once again, thank you. He will forever be a legend on the podcast. But for the sake of this matchup, having three five setters and then facing off against arguably the best player of all time, probably the worst case situation for him. So give me the under 28 and a half games as my lock. And for the dog, I got to do it. It's going to be the last matchup we talked about. Give me Jari Moneyline against Rude at around plus 165. I'm not saying Rude can't win because we know how good Rude is on clay, but dropping a set to Zhang and to Zepieri is not the greatest of looks for a guy who was the runner-up of the event last year. And Jari's been insane the last couple of weeks. He already beat Rude. So confidence-wise, I know Jari's not going to be intimidated because he just beat this guy a week ago. But plus 165 for a guy that's been playing really good tennis, a great server, which should give him some advantage in the tie breaks if there are a couple of them. But Jari's going to win so many free points off the serve that I do think uh, that he's going to be able to take advantage of those in or out to a win. Is it going to be easy? No. But I do think that Jari has value to win this overall match. And I think that because of that, I'm going to take him to win it at a plus money price. However, I am kind of tempted now to do some brief experimenting. So just bear with me for a second, if I could actually find the price available, but I might want to make this plus money price even bigger, trying to steal one of the ideas that we had from the last episode. Let me just quickly see what I can get here. So, Oh, sorry. Just pulling it up. Um, what can I find here? Can I find the double results? Sorry. I found match result with games, which doesn't really help me. That's not what I was looking for. Uh, match result and both players to win a set. You can get Jari to win the match and each player to win a set at plus 240. That'll be my dog. I'm going to take that actually instead of the Jari money line at plus 165. Give me Jari on the money line with each player to win a set at plus 240. If you want to chop it up like the Varius match, you can, but I think I talked myself out of the money line and I talked myself into the both players win a set addition to it because I don't see him winning in straight sets. So with that being the case, give me Jari money line with each player to win a set at plus 240 as the dog. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock is going to be the under 28 and a half games in the Varius and Djokovic match. And the dog will be Jari Moneyline with each player to win a set. In other words, Jari to win in four or five sets. And that pays out at plus 240 on bet 365. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Scaling Podcast. We're back once again for the quarterfinals in the French Open. You can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. You can find me on the NBA show, the WNBA show, the NFL show, the uh, MLB show. And yeah, you know where to find me. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.